This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. I hope you are well. It is the beginning of another new year, 2024. May this year be the best one yet. It's certainly starting off in a good way for me, that's for sure, because I present to you a conversation with the great Chris Broderick. Now, the catalyst for the chat is due to an Australian tour from In Flames with Creator. I say at the end of the chat that uh, the Brisbane show is first, it's actually last, Sunday the 18th of February. The bands will be touring uh, or playing in Brisbane, but uh, there are other dates across Australia and I'll put them in the episode description. Now throughout this conversation here, of course, we talk a little bit about the tour, but there's so much more to dive into with a player as revered as Chris. I talk about his entry, or I ask questions. And Chris Julie answers questions regarding his tenure in In Flames. How did that come about? What it's like to play Jasper's songs? His thoughts on Moral Dane? And of course, there's a lot of chat about Megadeth. This is a good one. All right, so here he is, the great Chris Roderick. There he is. Yeah, gotcha, mate. Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes Zoom will uh, kick it off with muting you and sometimes it won't. So, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm hearing you. I've been doing this long enough now to uh, be able to write a fairly lengthy book blog entry on the amount of issues that can occur with Zoom. Well, I've, I've got to say it's a lot more stable in the Skype days. Do you remember them? Yeah, I actually, <laughs> the funny thing is I still use Skype quite a bit for some of my uh, uh, students. A lessons, yeah, yeah. yeah. The main, and I'm sure you could probably do this in Zoom, but I think if, like, I've tried so many other platforms up to this point, it's like, mm. I don't want to keep jumping platforms, you know? So, um, but the one thing I really like about Skype is that it keeps your chats, like, logged forever, just natively. So, yeah. so for me, I use it as a, you know, like if I want to give assignments to students and stuff like that, then I'll use the the chat feature and it stays there forever. You know, even if I send files and things of that nature. So, yeah, that's an interesting they, point that will. Sorry, you go. Mate. You're... I was going to say they no longer have the excuse that my dog ate it or anything like that. Uh, that was my question. Do, do you enjoy teaching? I do. Yeah. As long as, you know, it's, I, so if I'll give you two, the best and the worst scenario, the best scenario is I have students that really value what I want to show them and they, they work really hard to try and, you know, uh, achieve their goals on the instrument. And the uh, opposite side is this student that's like, you know, has a soccer mom and dad that, like, oh, you should take guitar lessons. And and then so I'm constantly asking him, oh, well, did you practice? No. Oh, well, did you listen to the song or the, the piece of material? No, not really. Well, what would you like to work on? I don't know. You know, so those are the two opposite sides. So I'm in a fortunate position that like these days, most of the people that, that seek me out for lessons, they, you know, it could be at any level, but they want to learn the guitar, you know. Yeah, I, I think there's a perception out there that if you get someone as good as you teaching the teaching a student from a parent's perspective, that they're going to learn via osmosis, right? <laughs> Just yeah. in the mere presence yeah. of the individual. Yeah, there's there's no getting around personal motivation. 
Like there's no better component to improvement than that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what, how do you fit everything in then? Because you do have, you do tour a lot. I get that. And you've got these shows that are uh, coming up with creator. Of course you're in the in flames these yeah. days. So um, how do you fit everything in? Well, uh, so on the teaching side of thing, I'm just very fortunate. My, my students are very generous and, and they let me escape, go tour, play rockstar for, you know, a month and a half or so. And then they're like, all right, we got to get you back, you know, but, uh, it's, it's really like, I've, I've always tried to set my life up so that I can afford to do these things that I want. And and I've been fortunate in that direction, you know, before I taught, you know, I used to do jobs where I could either take the time off or I didn't care about the job enough to, 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 uh, keep it Mm. if going on tour, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you have you toured with Millie before? I'm sorry. Have you have you toured Millie and the guys in Creator before? I haven't. I haven't. No, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it because uh, you know they've been hard at it for a long time as well, and I think uh, I think it's a good pairing. Yeah, I agree. and I'm excited to bring it down to Australia as well. You know. Yeah. Well, you've toured Australia a few times. I've seen you when you're in Megadeth. So, how, yeah. how do you think? How do we rate compared to the rest of the world from an audience perspective? Oh, sleepers! Every last one of you. You know, <laughs> just, no, I'm just no. Actually, uh, it's always been really surprising, especially this last time when we were playing Not Fest. Uh, when In Flames was playing Not Fest, it was mm. amazing to see the amount of crowd participation. And so, you know, we, that's, I think that's why we're coming back so quickly is because we saw that kind of energy in the crowd and we knew we had to get back to Australia. And quite honestly, I'm sure you guys already know this. Australia is not the easiest place to get to for foreigners Mm -hmm. because of the amount of travel time and the logistics involved in getting all your gear there and all of that. But, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, we definitely saw it and it was, it's worth it. You know, so we need to we need to make sure we're there a lot. Hmm. What's the with regards to your role in In Flames? You, you're a tenured band member these days. Am I correct in saying that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So did, did do you have a lot to do with the songwriting then? Not yet. So last for Foregone, uh, Bjorn and Anders wrote the entire CD, and uh, then they had kind of uh the three uh, us three americans at the time you know bryce tanner and myself Mm. uh come in and kind of sprinkle little you know our our influence over the top of the songs you know the way that we the way bryce would play a bass line the way tanner would would play his drums and and my guitar solos um you know definitely have their own sound to them and they um were more than open to the idea of you know, Hey, be yourselves. We want, you know, we want you to express yourself on this and give us more <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, we are starting to look, uh, at the next, uh, CD, if you want to call it that, or a collection mm. of songs, you know, and, uh, it's really exciting to see where things are going. I think so far, everybody should be really happy, especially mm. if they like Forgone. Like I think Forgone was like, it was like the sign that pointed to where I think in flames is going. So 
Yeah, it brought, it brought great elements of the past into the present, I've got to say, compared to what albums, uh, previous albums, you know, the last 20 years or so, to be honest, have been indifferent in some ways for the band. But I think the band is coming back into a bit of a uh, a purple patch, to be honest with you. And look, on that note, I, I did speak to, I've spoken to all of the guys in the Halo Effect. So I had a good chat with Nicholas in July of 2022. Mm. And believe me, he just did not want to talk about his status in In Flames at all. Because at the time, right, right. there was just was no information out there. Now it's all been clarified. But did you did you come on board as a session member, or was there a view to you joining as a full time member? No, it was definitely like a, on a fill in type of spot. You know, it was like it was basically like. Uh, well, I can't speak for them because I didn't speak to them directly. <laughs> But I got a rather panicked sounding call from a friend of their management at the time being like, hey, In Flames needs a fill-in guitarist, then can you be ready in three days? <laughs> and so, so I was talking to their management, you know, by that evening, and I probably, you know, I was like, I need a set list, I need some songs, you know, <laughs> like if this is going to happen. So, um so it was so quick. And then just jumping in, you know, I, uh, I tried to do it as easily as possible. I grabbed some six strings and just tried to learn the songs the way I saw them played by Bjorn and, and, you know, obviously Nicholas and, uh, the other players, you know? So, um, but then as things progressed and, you know, there was, you know, some, some, talks about me becoming a more permanent member yeah. um then it slowly morphed you know and uh the one thing that i will tell you about in flames that probably anybody will tell you about in flames is it's almost like things just kind of happen but nothing is ever said you know yeah it's like somehow we make the tour even though there's very little information going around about how it's going to happen you know and so that's basically what happened to me uh, joining In Flames was it was a gradual kind of like, oh, well, what do you think about playing in In Flames? You know, kind of little little tidbits and stuff like that. So, Yeah, well, without pissing in your pocket, I don't think they could have got anybody better apart from it would be you or Jeff would be the two guys, Jeff Loomis. You know? oh, well, I, mean, I, I appreciate that. And, and even to be considered in the league of uh, Loomis is – amazing because he's a monster player and you know he's a good friend so mm. well look as the bloke who has to play jesper's jesper's songs where do you rate his chops and leads i think well i've i've always i mean you know you have to understand that i toured with inflames with jesper and the band as well and mm. uh like so you know, I kind of feel a personal connection to him at the same time. Um, and I've always seen in flames as a, a band that has the chops, but doesn't ever need to flaunt them. So, you know, um, yeah, I'm not sure if you heard that or not, but oh, uh, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm on my I'm on call with my job. You see, and okay, I've forgotten to turn off bloody team, so I'll do that now. Apologies, I'll quit it. Here we go. No worries. <laughs> yeah, I, caught, I don't want to get you fired, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I'm so I've always I've always seen you know in flames as a band that has the chops, but never felt they needed to flaunt it. And mm. I feel the same way about Jesper. You know, I think. Personally, I think Jesper is a great writer. Like he knows how to weave melody in with guitar harmony and heavy riffs. And 
that's I think his his biggest strength. So step, I wouldn't even say I step into that role, but I come in to quite honestly try and honor his role when I play his music. You know, I don't want the fans to come to a show and see my interpretation of you know what the music is. I, I want them to go, oh man, you know that song sounded awesome. You know as much as possible. So yeah. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. my way of honoring any player that I've had to play their music. Well, you're doing a heck of a job, like you did a hell of a bloody job in Megadeth playing Marty solos as well. So there you go. I've certainly seen the videos, mate. But I mean, you're you know you're yeah. world class. So you're one of those guys who could pretty much. You're a bit like Marty, you know that I'm sure you could make a bloody hairbrush sing, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know my my problem is that like well at least I feel like I have to put in a lot of work to make it happen. You know, like. I, I love to practice, and so it's not really. I don't see it as a negative, but I do think I put in. I put in a lot of time so that so that I can, you know, attempt to do that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that. That's that excellence that you've got in you coming to the fore right there. That constantly wanting to refine to get it right. Yeah, that's the only way it happens, isn't it? Just constant practice. Yeah. 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 What? What? A, look, if if I had to pick a vocalist that had everything, I'd actually choose Warrell, Warrell Dane, and. Mm. Look, a sober Worrell, I think, would eventually have eclipsed the great Ronnie James Dio by my own estimation. Wow. You know, I, look, I think he's that good. I think he, when he, where he was in Sanctuary with the high voice to what he was doing in, in um, Nevermore with the more lower gruff voice, he just seemed to have it all. But um, there was another dimension about working with Worrell, and I guess I've already mentioned it, but how challenging for you was it working with him? Uh, <laughs> it was a little chaotic working with Worrell. You know, um, you know, the, I mean, phenomenal singer and most of all, very original style, you know, with the vocals and uh, very good lyricist at the same time. But, uh, you know, with his drinking and stuff, the, mm. the um, how do I put it? His 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 ability to make sure that shows were on time and that he was there and he was top of his game wasn't always the the top priority you know what i mean yeah but but he looking back and you look at all of the music that he brought you know dead heart in a dead world i mean that's gonna go down as one of my favorite cds of all time yeah great yeah and yeah so you know uh i i think i would totally agree with you like in terms of that comparison between sober world and and yep. uh world that unfortunately passed you know i mean i think he could have rivaled anybody for sure yeah yeah it's a tough one with him because you could actually see it too in the photos and the videos he was doing whilst he was living because to be honest I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody he looked like shit when he was living in brazil probably because he was drinking all the time you know I, I saw those videos and i thought you poor bastard and i just wonder if anybody was around him and letting him know that there were other things like plant medicine that were especially being so close to the Amazon like he was that he had within his fingertips within reach. I wonder if he was actually accessing some of that biotechnology, if you like, to help him. It's too hard to say. Like I, I, for my part, had definitely, there's a point at which, and I mean, it's hard to even talk about this subject, you know, but mm, yeah. it, there's a point at which I gave up on the prospect. You know what I mean? 
of him getting healthy and stuff like that. It was just, it, it draws too much emotionally from you as an individual personally to see somebody that won't listen when their life is depending on it, you know? Yeah. Literally in the, in his case, that's what happened. Yeah. I know it's very sad, but we've still got that great, those great albums that he appeared on to your point, dead heart and a dead world, man. What a fantastic album. whose legacy just continues to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I love every Nevermore CD for different reasons, you know, like this godless endeavor, I think Jeff just comes out as a monster player on that, that album. And, you know, Dreaming Neon Black is like so dark. It's like a kind of dark that I don't even think I could create, you know? <laughs> no, you're not wrong. So, and it seemed to yeah. come from nowhere, didn't it? Dreaming Neon Black back in 96 or whatever it was. It just was like, wow, here it is. Yeah. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I wrote in 2017 that Old Scar's New Wounds is the best Megadeth album by far since Cryptic Writings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to perceive that comment. <laughs> well, it is what it is because it is how it sounds right, meaning that, I mean, you were in the band as long as anybody else, let's face it, given the bloody revolving door of members in that group these days. And I've had yeah. long conversations with David David Ellison, I mean, when I say David about this, but it does lend itself to the question, act of defiance, your writing in that is just extraordinary. So are you still... Oh, are you still doing that or is that just on the back burner or what's happening? It's, it's definitely on the back burner right now. Um, you know, it's I'm really proud of the albums that we did, both Birth and the Burial and Old Scar's New Wounds. But uh, right now I'm so like I'm having so much fun and in flames and it feels like home. And, you know, it's it's going to be something that I think I can bring my personality to as well. Mm. So. Yeah, right now, that's really my focus. Reborn and Conspiracy of the Gods, I think, were the, that, they're the two songs in particular that I'll zero in on and say that I don't think, I don't think Dave's even written anything similar to that since Rust in Peace, actually, when you talk uh, about, you know, that transition from between the riff into the solo and then back again and vice versa. Just ex- yep. extraordinary stuff on those two songs. And I even think for most metal fans, the songs went over their heads somehow. I couldn't believe it. I heard them and I was just... As an old school fan, I, I just, I was like, fuck, someone's actually doing it. Here it is. You know, someone actually understands what makes this music energetic, vibrant. It's up. The cadence is full on and all the rest of it. But it it does. Yeah, well, but it, it does. It does hint at something else. Well, it's, it's more, it's stronger than a hint. It does. It goes right to the heart of something else, which is that Dave Mustaine didn't collaborate with you. That's yeah. my interpretation of it. But he's and, actually, yeah. Just to add to that, you know, Trover was a huge component of those songs. So yeah, yeah. there you go. Well, there you go. Well, that's what I can hear. Yeah, yeah. He is he is the self quantified fastest guitarist on the planet. You know, like (laughs) uh, so so yeah. It 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 was. I mean, it was a great time coming up with that material. So thank you very much. No, look, my pleasure. It's do you get. People, fans, people like me, people who were around when Megadeth were in the early '90s, you know, the Symphony of Destruction guys, that sort of thing. Did you did you manage to link up with a lot of us old school fans that way through that album? Is that your perception of things? You know, I we really had we didn't really have a direction in that sense, like how you know what where our demographic was going to be or anything like that. Mm. 
what Sean and I set out to do right off the bat was to make sure that all of us just wrote what we wanted to write, you know? So Matt Bashan, he wrote some songs. Henry wrote songs, you know, of course, Sean and I wrote songs and we didn't, you know, no one of us or group of us ever said, oh, no, you don't want to write that or we're not going to use that or anything like that. Mm. You know, it was it was very much like we're doing this for us. And, you know, like if people love it, even better. Yeah. Well, it's again, a bit like Dead Heart and the Dead World. It's there for posterity's sake now. And I, and I do believe that Old Scar's New Wounds will be one of those albums that, when people are serious, you know, when maybe when they get a bit older and they they're you don't want to say serious, they get beyond the the smoke and mirrors and the bullshit. It's one of those right. albums that'll emerge as one of the real ones, and people will start right. finding it again. It'll sort of live a life of its own. That happens with albums, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope so. I hope so because I definitely am really proud of what we did, and and you know, if if other people enjoy it, all the better. Mm. So thank you. No, <laughs> thank you. No, I've been wanting to give you that feedback for years, actually, about that. I did a review uh, back in 2017 that sort of caught on a bit online, and I think people, you know, the 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 people that were, were around when Slayer was still releasing good albums and stuff, they get what I was talking about, about right. this stuff. You know, when where there, where there was a more distinct definition between extreme metal and thrash metal, and I know there were some metalcore elements on the album there, but I think you did that with a lot of taste as well. You know, you bought, it, you bought that thrash metal sound into the now without sacrificing any of the core elements, which is really hard to do. Bloody yeah. hard to do, you know. But yeah. um, look, something else, and I'll preface this by saying that, you know, all of the Blabbermouth fanboys can send any hate mail to me when I ask this question. I mean, there's so many bloody of them out there with their, you know, yeah. their, their, their underpants tend to get a bit tighter when they start talking about guys like Dave Mustaine and Danny Filth and stuff. But here I go. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> look. Dave Mustaine, as I say, I've spoken to David about about this topic and, I mean, he's got a hell of an ego. I get he was Thrash Metal's chief architect. I'll never take that away from the bloke. Practically invented the genre as we understand it today, okay? But he's just he's just got this, this enormous ego and I've heard so many other stories about things that have happened backstage that I can't, you know, share for public's sake, share right. it with you off the record or whatever, but, you know, just, yeah. just the way he carries on a little bit. But for you, how, how did you... How did you manage that aspect of being in negative? Uh, you know, for me, I just tried to put my head down and play the guitar. That was, and that's like, that's always what it's about for me initially. Like I love playing the guitar. So I, I remember <laughs> I got an interview right when I joined Megadeth and this kid, he was so awesome. And his, his first question to me was, so, you're the 22nd member that's been in Megadeth. And this is, mind you, right when I joined, you're the, you're the 22nd member that, that's been in Megadeth. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I just started <laughs> laughing, you know? I was like, I mean, 22nd, second guitarist, it doesn't matter. I'm here to play guitar. And, that's, and I just did my best to, to focus on that as much as possible, you know? So... That's that's the one thing that grounded me and, and kept me sane for the amount of time that uh, that I was in that band. Did you find that you and Sean sort of formed a clique within the band? Is that how it worked? Yeah, I think so. You know, uh, I mean, 
like I relate to Sean and, and, uh, you know, we have similar backgrounds, you know, and similar loves of music, you know, King Diamond will always be one of our favorite musicians, you know? And, uh, mm. so yeah, yeah, we, we definitely got along really well. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Mate, you've done, you've done heaps and I'm sure there's more to come, but you've got an, that's, you've got, you've just got an impeccable resume thus far. So including Jag Panzer, Panzer, of course, I haven't even mentioned them yet, but oh. What's your um? What's the highlight of your career so far? You reckon? Well, it's gonna sound so clichéic, but mm. probably the Sofia Bulgaria Big Four. Oh yeah, you know any of the Big Fours were they were just so momentous, and and I don't just want to see it as the you know oh I played to a hundred thousand fans or something like that. It it was not only that. It was it was the fact that you had four of the the biggest thrash metal bands in on one stage at one time and the coolest thing was that metallica you know they didn't necessarily need any of the the rest of us you know it's like but they brought us all on they formed the tour with the four bands and then they were super open about like hey if you ever want to use our jam room you know like let's get on stage and jam together, you know. It's the you know we, we played. Am I, I? I did the solo with Kirk Hammett. Am I evil? Like stood on stage with him. Like it was all of that stuff. The crowd, like being a part of it. The four bands that were assembled and the openness of Metallica to to allow, like to make that happen. You know what I mean? It's to me that was an incredible moment in time. Yeah. I actually mentioned in the review that you were the most accomplished guitarist on stage during that gig as well, I feel, because I've seen the videos and yeah. <laughs> compliments keep coming, mate. I don't look at, I'm probably not going to get this opportunity again, so I might as well heap on the praise where it's deserved, you know. And But in, in that gig, did you did you form a special bond with anybody in the other bands? Uh, no, not that I would say uh, a special bond or anything like that. Just a lot of camaraderie and admiration. Like, uh, at that time, Rob Congiano was playing in Anthrax, monster player, you know. Um, and uh, I've known Kerry King through different jams and stuff that I'd done. So to see what he get, you know, gets up on stage and does is pretty amazing too. You know, even though he's not like the consummate shredder or anything like that, he gets up and he brings his own, you know, his own level of thrash, you know, to the event and. You know, Kirk Hammett, like, you know, people, it seems like either people love him or hate him. And I love him because he just, he does what he does. And I've seen him live enough times to know he pulls off the old stuff. He pulls off the new stuff. He, you know, he plays his music, you know, he puts his heart into it. So for me, like, I just walked away from that with a lot more, a lot less critique and a lot more admiration. Like it's easier almost if you're if you're in your room or hanging out playing guitar and you look at another guitarist and you go, oh, I could play that, you know, or whatever. It's a different thing when you're up on stage and you got to do it repeatedly night after night after night. You know, there's so many different variables that happen. So for me, I've got respect for any band that, you know, at any level, especially just getting started that will get their asses in a van 
go from show to show, play to a few people and put it out there every night, you know, be, having that kind of dedication, you know. Yeah, so, they're definitely doing it for the fans now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. that's what I walked away with from that. That's, and that's why it's one of the highlights so far of my career. Look, I'm sure I'm right in saying this. I think if you put on a scale all of heavy metal and then Metallica on the other side, maybe minus Iron Maiden, they'd be about even. Metallica are just that big at the moment. They're just an entire industry. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it's us against Metallica. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, I think they, I think they've done a really good job. Like, yeah. you know, and, and I think at the same time, I don't know that they're that worried about being at that spot either. No, I don't think they've had to work that hard for it, meaning these days. When you've got albums like Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, that's pretty much what their career is built on the back of. And then, of course, they had the enormous success with the Black Album. But Black Album happened because of the ascendancy that they built off the back of those two, maybe three albums and Justice for All. But, yeah, you, you raise another interesting point I should mention about Kirk. I think the, the perception of Kirk is that he's an excellent guitarist for Metallica, but just not a great guitarist in general and probably won't go down as one of the greats for that reason because he's very samey, whereas when I listen to – to you or Jesper or what have you, there's a lot of inventiveness there, and that's what. I mean, but you know, you know, you're a musician. You get what I'm talking about. It's for the fans are a different thing from the musicians. The musicians tend to go for invention. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I would say, you know what? Like, if I were Kirk right now, I would, I would be like, I play for me, you know, hmm. and whatever the guitar. Like, I mean, actually me saying this, I play the guitar for me, you know, it's, I'm glad that people like what I do, but at the end of the day, like I have to be happy, you know, picking up the instrument, you know, I can't pick it up for any other reason. So yeah, I'm sure he would say the same. Yeah. You're not wrong. I, I, yeah. He doesn't do interviews. It's unfortunate. He does a couple, but not, Nothing, nothing around the music and the band. I don't know why that is, but he'll do things about his horror festival or the horror thing that he's got going on. But not a lot of. Other, put it this way, I don't think. I, don't, I think I might have seen one. It's a bit like Blackie Lawless, you know, like they're this thing up in the ether somewhere, and you're like, wow. And then occasionally something comes in your inbox, and you're like, you've almost got to not bid for the interview, but you've got to send your EPK through, and you've really got to put your best foot forward, and then you don't hear anything back, and you think, oh fuck, next year's my language, but next time maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like, I mean, I, I don't know what to say to that, but, you know, they're, they're at a level that I guess they're like, ah, you know, interviews, but I, I don't need to do an interview, maybe, mm. you know, but who knows? Hey, this, is my, this is my second last question for you. Um, what's, what's the biggest gig you've knocked back? What do you mean knocked back? Like, clarify that term for me. I couldn't imagine, I would imagine that you get in your inbox maybe once every six months or once a quarter or whatever, a pretty bloody substantial opportunity, whether it be, you know, joining Foreigner or something like that. Have you had anything come across your desk that way? Well, I've had, I've had stuff come across my desk, but I've never like passed on it. You know what I mean? I've yeah. had, I've had potential opportunities that were like, well, if this happens, then we'll need a guitarist, you know, kind of a thing. Uh -huh. And um, I've went and auditioned for them and been ready to, to assume that role. But the other side of the coin never happened where the guitarist ended up needing to have a fill in or anything like that. So, yeah. And uh, 
as much as I would like to tell you some of the player, some of the bands, because they are awesome bands, mm. um, I'm not going to. So, no, that's fair enough. You keep inside baseball, inside baseball. I understand that. You know, it's uh, yeah, some. Yeah. yeah. Wait, well, this is my final question for you. Put it in the biography. So, when's it coming out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. If that'll be a ways. Like, I'm hoping to live a really long life. So we'll put that. We'll put that in another twenty years. Yeah, please do that because we are getting to an age. Here's a fear that I have, okay? As you, I mean, you're at the peak of the industry. You're right at the front of it but with heavy metal. I think heavy metal is going to be okay because it's underground again and the networks yeah. are now established. So you've got great touring agencies and management is a lot lot tighter and a lot more uh, you know, honest, I suppose, is the way to describe it these days and certainly the stories that I've heard in the past. It's a lot harder to bullshit musicians these days. Um yeah. But rock music in particular is now going underground, okay? Mm -hmm. So we're not seeing, I mean, apart from Greta Van Fleet, which I think a lot of rock fans could give less of a shit about, I couldn't name a big rock band that's come out in the last, say, 20 years. I'm talking about a band that made an impact, you know, played, yeah, yeah. played you know, I don't know, over here we call we have rugby league, so play halftime rugby league, state of origin shows, that sort of thing. You know, right. there just hasn't been one that comes out. So you're really part of that the forefront of what potentially will be the last of the big bands to come through that have a global impact in the way that, that you remember it, you know, playing on these huge stages of, stages of Bulgaria and stuff. So these stories that you've got, when you move on to the next journey, whenever that might be in the great gig in the sky or what have you, a lot of those stories will go with you unless you have a biography out there. And that's, uh -huh. the key, yeah. Well, I just, I just appreciate that you consider my stories valuable enough to, to give out there. So yeah, I will. I will definitely think about that, but in the future. <laughs> well, we, I, I write them, you see. So that's one of the reasons that I uh, I mentioned. Ah, yeah, I, I'm writing writing a, a particular black metal guitarist book at the moment who certainly saw it and saw it all, and in Norway actually. So we're sort of oh. in the you know the Gen, I guess you call Gen two or Gen three in the turn of the century, 1995, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So um, to turn of the century, so they've made there's so many wonderful stories out there i just hate for them not to be told that's so why that's one of the reasons i'm doing it cool yeah. well i appreciate it and, cool. and maybe who knows, i'll be i'll be writing your or reading your book uh soon enough well i'll uh i'll <laughs> once it's out there i'll send it through to john who can send it through to management or what have you for you so you know I'll, uh, I, i'm big on kindle and ebooks these days i know people still like the uh the physical copy but you travel a lot so you get it you can't bloody bring books with you everywhere yeah. Yeah. I, I still remember I was pissed at my manager because he, uh, he, uh, we had been touring overseas in Europe and he came out for the last couple of shows and he lives here in LA where I live. Mm. And he brought me this probably five pound book, you know, it, and it's a great book. It's on Eddie Van Halen and his tone and everything. But, mm. uh, at any rate, um, I was just like, you really like at the end of the tour, you're going to fly out from LA and give me a five pound book for my luggage that I can barely <laughs> get home right now as we speak. You got to actually so, carry it onto the plane with you, haven't you? You can't put it in your bag. You actually got to carry it on with you. It's like, so it bypasses all of the weighing and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at any rate, yeah. So, so oh. sometimes, sometimes I'll actually pick a book up, but yeah, I definitely like digital media for its portability. So. Oh, you can, with Kindle Unlimited these days, there's almost, 
when I say there's no excuses, there's the quality of the books sometimes leaves a bit to be desired, you know, especially in our rock and metal universe. There's some a lot of fan written stuff out there about, you know, there's even one with a groupie who wrote her story and stuff. And look, it's it's not really well written. The stories, they're okay, but you've got to be invested in that person. And yeah. that's the key point. With somebody like you, fans are invested, so they're interested in turning the next page to see what happens. And there's just not enough of them out there at the moment. There's there's some big ones. You know, I get that Vinnie Paul. Did Vinnie Paul have a book? Or Rex certainly had one. There's, you know, there's a couple out there, but not Max yeah. got one. Max Cable, Rob Halford's got one. KK's got one, I think. KK Downing, that is. There's a yeah. few out there, but, mate, there's probably about a dozen. Of the, um, you know what I mean? Like hard rock, extreme metal, heavy metal guys. Yeah. With yeah. your stories, man. And that, that, that was, there's so many great stories. Yeah. But it's funny to me, like, I know if I, if I were writing a book, it would be much more about all of the, the hard times, the trials, the tribulations that, that I went through to get to where I am, as opposed to the best concerts I ever had or anything like that. It's to me, it's funny how, the hard, the hard times are the ones that you almost kind of remember the most fondly because you knew you made it out of that. Like you made it, you made it beyond that moment, you know, and then you didn't say, well, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm just going to play my guitar in my room, you know, kind of a thing. Like, so it'd be, yeah, it's an interesting prospect at any rate. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's, why, well, that's why I get the sense your book would be worth reading because as a, someone who writes these things, mate, most of the, what I've written has never been released because the person wants to rewrite it based on all of these positive things that happen in their life. And I said, it's boring, mate. Nobody yeah. wants to know when you fell in love, mate. They want to know when you got your heart broken and how you recovered. That's the story because it's about there's two key words of writing books, biographies, tension and conflict. And you've yep. got to have an equal amount of both with occasional payoffs. You always got to have the payoffs. That's right. the gig like yourself, your Bulgaria gig, that sort of thing. And joining Megadeth in the first instance, joining in flames or what have you. But you know, the, the, the page turners are like what you mentioned about Worrell and this sort of stuff. That's what people want to read about, man. And uh, I, I, I know that because that's when, when you look at the books that do really well, like Rex's book or Max Cavalera's book, that's all they're full of just conflict yeah. how they got over them. Yep. Yeah. You know, so Great. there you go. Yeah. All right, man. Thank well, you very much. Open, but uh, yeah, I will see you uh, in what? Probably About a month. That long? Okay. Yeah. So it's mid middle of February. I think you're here, aren't you? Like, I think I, I checked it just. Is before. it that late? Um, hang I on. Guess, I guess first. I will check now so as though I don't go telling you so as a, you know, you turn up for the tour late or something like that based on what I say. <laughs> um, hang on, here I go. Where are we? So, oh, God, you go to these websites and all these pop-ups and stuff that happen. Um, 14th of February is down in Melbourne. So I wonder when Brisbane is. Sydney is the uh, 17th. So, yeah, around about then anyway. I think the first show is in my hometown, Brisbane. So you'll be nice. – uh, I'll be there, mate, for sure. All right. I will plan on seeing you there. Absolutely, mate. Thanks very much uh, for the chat. I really appreciate it. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me and have a good one, Andrew. You too, brother. No worries. Catch you, mate. See ya. See ya. Well, there he is, the great Chris Broderick. That is a conversation that I have been looking forward to for many, many years. I'm sure long-time listeners to the show have heard me talk up Chris's accomplishments in the past, but to actually talk to the man himself, that is something else. Now, if you liked that chat, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. A heap, in fact. If you like Cradle of Filth, there's a special Cradle of Filth Conversations link. 
I've spoken to many of the band's former members and we go we go right into it, right to the heart of the matter with the former Cradle of Filth members. A bit like that chat just then with Chris. All right, got some information to share with you about my book. I've got a couple more on the horizon, but there is one out there for you to purchase at the moment. Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. Do check it out. And I'll bid you. I've got some more information to share with you about that. Did I say that? Well, I'm saying it now. But before we get to that, I'll bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms it, yes. Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself 
Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.